Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now with this day, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Right, another chance to win two tickets to Riverdance next summer. Uh, courtesy of Aiken Promotions for you today give you a choice between a river question and a dance question and we'll do that towards the end of the programme two tickets thanks to our friends at Aiken Promotions for Riverdance live at the Marquee next summer 1850-715-996 good morning plenty coming up this morning including why this little phrase is going mad on TikTok that's the law and that's a fact. Yeah. Why is that going mad on TikTok? That's the law. And that's a fact. I'll tell you why. I'll talk to that man a little bit later on. But uh, we start off with news. I'm not too sure if this was out. Uh, I can't remember when this actually came out. It was yesterday. That's right. We were we were, we were on the air and we were kind of getting the details of it when it was coming out. But um, the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, uh, has announced more money, a fair little uh, little tranche of money, 62 million for schools to allow them to do things like buy HEPA filters. Uh, also, there's another 10 million to be given to childcare and early learning facilities to improve ventilation. Now, we were talking <clears throat> last week on the programme about the importance of HEPA filters and how the positioning of a good HEPA filter in a classroom is a lot better for children than having them sit there frozen cold with their coats on if they're allowed to have their coats on. Put a properly positioned, properly installed HEPA filter into the classroom is a hundred times better. Jennifer Horgan is an education columnist with the Irish Examiner and a teacher at the Educate Together in Cork City and importantly, Jen, a mum of three. Jen, good morning to you. Yes, morning PJ. Um, How are you? Good. We spoke to John Sado at UCC last week about the importance of a well-positioned 
HEPA filter properly installed, how it's 100 times better than all the windows in the place being open. Absolutely. Um, like, as you say, children are frozen. I've, I've three kids myself and, you know, I'm obviously dressing them as well as I can, but I know they're sitting in the same place all day. They have to because of COVID. So everyone has their designated seat and they're not getting, you know, to move around. I mean, to be fair now, I think schools are doing their best. So they're trying to get, you know, children out for, for yard breaks and whatever. Um, but whatever way you look at it, they're sitting in, in really, really cold classrooms. I think it's really interesting that before the pandemic, schools were advised that if they couldn't have, I think their, their classrooms at 16 degrees, they would have to shut down for the day. Um, but like, you know, that's all of our classrooms are below that on a daily basis. So we know that we have to do something. Um, but this is all coming far too late. Like we were sitting in freezing classrooms last December. Um we all knew the next winter was coming. Um, the department knew. Um, we've been talking about HEPA filters for months. Mm. Orla Hegarty, I think, has been particularly um, outspoken and correct throughout, you know, and has said this is exactly what we need to do. What's really frustrating for principals and deputy principals particularly is that they're being told that the money exists, but they're not being given any guidelines. Mm. Um, the stress on them, the emotional pressure over Christmas now to try and source these HEPA filters. They've no idea of value, so they don't know what they should be paying. Um, they've no idea of, like you, you said, you had an expert on speaking about the positioning. Sure, principals aren't informed of that. They don't know the science, and yet it's on their shoulders to sort. And I, I, I can't help, like parents are going to want the classrooms to be sorted after Christmas. They've had, you know, children have had a, a hard trotting for the last few months. And so, People are going to have that expectation. But, you know, I just feel like the department have really dumped it on the principal's shoulders. And it's, you know, it's very unfair. Well, the great thing about them is John Sadov from UCC I was talking to, um, and uh, he's expert in this area. And he was, look, for the most part, any reasonably good positioning within the okay. room will be indicated on the packaging and indicated on the instruction leaflet to give you most of okay. them cost the really good ones they cost a few hundred euro and that's okay. about as much as they cost so so they're not particularly expensive but I was talking to another principal uh, down in Crosshaven a couple of weeks ago and the difficulty they're going to face now is even if they had the money uh, in the office today they don't know which one to buy because one will be recommended and if they don't buy the recommended one you know yourself Absolutely. And normally principals are told to get three quotes, you know, before they invest in anything, because, you know, we're obviously trying to, to get a bang for our buck when it comes to, to, to the department's money. Um, but they're not going to have the time to do that now, yeah. you know, so it's just all very rushed, very last minute. And it's just creating stress uh, that shouldn't have to be there, you know. Um, and, and of course, then on the back of people's you know, parents' frustrations, children's discomfort, it's just a kind of a storm um, I just, it's, you know, it's unfortunate that it wasn't planned um, and rolled out months ago. As, as a teacher yourself, um, yeah. you know, when we finally began, it's great work that led in uh, Virgin Media News, Rob Hanrahan did a fabulous report a couple of weeks ago where he, he, yes. he blew it open. He said, it's not, the schools are safe because they're not looking for it. And we realised that the schools being yeah. safe was a myth. That in actual fact, Absolutely. COVID is rampant in the schools and when you don't look for it, you won't find it. How did you feel as a teacher no, when it was finally put up there, writ large, what you already knew? Yeah, you know, that's the thing. We all knew it. Um, and the thing is, we all have families. Like I've got very vulnerable parents. And so you do feel a bit wronged, you know, um, that you're 
not only, I mean, it would be different if the narrative was generous and if it was, thank you, thank you for doing this, you know, and, and thank you for taking the risk. We really appreciate it. Then I think everyone steps up and they feel like they're part of a team. But when the narrative is, you're imagining it, you're grand, you're fine, you know, um, of course schools are safe. You just feel like you're being treated like a fool. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's just a kind of frustration. But look, um, I think all teachers try not to think about it too much because if they did, you know, you know, we just get on with it. And um, luckily, we've got brilliant students to keep us uh, upbeat. You you just get on with it, which is what thousands of teachers have done. And and we should all be so grateful to them. Watching children, though, sitting there shivering, that must be awful. It is absolutely awful. Like I'm in a secondary school, so we have base classrooms. Um, the students don't really move very much during the day because, you know, of COVID, they have to have their own seat. Um, like it's easier for staff because we can move around, even if it's in circles at the top of the classroom. Um, whereas they are just sitting there and they're, they're in their coats, their masks, you know, it's, and I, I agree, of course, with masks and everything, but it's just a miserable sight, you know, and you kind of, we try now to take them out as much as we can. Um, we're trying to do sort of educational walks and, you know, do the best we can to keep them moving and to keep them active. But yeah, we care about the students and it's not nice to see them um, in discomfort. Now, uh, your own kids are smaller. How, how are they feeling? They Have are. they been sick or they've been getting chills? Yeah, I had my son now is asthmatic. Um, he had a really severe chest infection. So he had to get steroids, you know, antibiotics. We kept him home pretty much, I'd say, two and a half weeks because we just didn't want to put him back in a cold classroom. You know, we knew it was important for him just to be warm. Um, and I think like we've had now about five weeks, I'd say, of somebody being off um, uh, because we had to, you know, because he wasn't well or somebody else wasn't well. And, mm. and of and did, course, did you have to get him COVID a, tested just in case and all that? We did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've all been COVID tested a number of times because I suppose I know I'm going into a a busy workplace so I can't afford to take the risk of having a symptom and not getting tested so that obviously that's why we're seeing the sort of teacher shortages and absences because I suppose we've a kind of a higher responsibility because we're in um, congested classrooms and, and hallways so I think everyone's being very responsible on that front but it obviously has a knock-on effect then um, and that's why we're seeing our shortages so look it's been very it's been a difficult few months and um but what's lovely to see is just the the atmosphere in in certainly my school and I know my 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 children's school and um, people are doing their best to keep things upbeat and positive yeah. um and there's a real sense of solidarity within the schools I think yeah. um yeah. which is lovely some schools and we've had reports uh, people phoning us here saying that in some classrooms the children are not allowed to wear their coats that should be mm. done away with, shouldn't it? There should be, the, 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 the schools should be, if, if necessary, told by the Department of Education the children are to be allowed to wear their coats. I, like I find it hard to believe, you know, I, I'm sure it is happening. I've heard it it's is. happening. Well, you can I take, it, you, you how, can take yeah, it as given. How, yeah. how can anyone like justify that? I don't, I genuinely don't understand it. The problem is, again, it, schools kind of are very autonomous. So, complain to the Department of Education. I'm not sure what that would do. You know, they tend to kind of leave it to the Board of Management and, and, and so... Well, well, you see, the thing about it is Jen, they do leave it to the Board of Management, but the Minister for Education at any one time is responsible. And all it would take would be Norma Foley to go on the television at six o'clock and say, I am directing schools to allow children 
wear coats in class if they wish to do so. And let them make noise about it afterwards. Oh, I'd love that to happen. Just, I'd love just, that to happen, just, PJ, but I don't see that kind of guidance. Um, and it's the same with the HEPA filters. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not, there, there's that distance that's always there, um, which is very frustrating. Yeah, because it's left to, it's left to boards of management and no disrespect to boards of management. They're not the experts here. They're not. No, they're not. You, you know, know, in education, they're not, they're a not bit, on the ground. A, so. a bit of leadership, a bit of, a bit of muscle from the top is what's required at times like this, I always Absolutely. think. Absolutely. All right. Jennifer, listen, keep up the good work. You and many, many like you around the country as a teacher, as a mum, and as a columnist with the Irish Examiner. Uh, it's, it's awful. And any school that is not allowing children to wear either an extra sweater or a hoodie or a coat at the moment with windows open. Why? What the hell is wrong with you? 1850-715-996. And let's hope that over the Christmas season that that money will get spent and well spent. I'll do that in a minute. That's quite a long one. Oh, yeah. Why don't the government just decide on a good filter or a range of good filters and buy them and deliver them like they did with PPE? Wouldn't that at least remove one headache from the principals? Because I'm sure there's doubt over brands and supply. Uh, yeah, the problem with that caller is a little thing called procurement. Oh, don't even go there. A little thing called procurement and you have to go through months and months of nonsense. What you need to do is just let, let the schools go out and buy whatever the hell is useful for them or contact an expert and have the expert recommend one. There's no excuse, says Kate, for the department. We're going to be having COVID around a long time and anyone that couldn't see there would be an issue of ventilation of winter doesn't deserve the job. Yeah, well, yes, you're right. Procurement, procurement rules were suspended for PPE, which is a very valid point. So there's also the precedent there. I'd forgotten that. Thanks, Fergal. The, there was a precedent when we needed PPE at the start of all this that you could do away with procurement rules. So could you do away with procurement rules just to get a shed load of filters into classrooms? Good, good, good idea. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. It's the most talked about thing on your radio. Do you know the answer? The rag and bone man. Rag and bone man. Yeah. <laughs> Lorraine's one second Christmas song on Cork's 96FM. Play and win the music guessing game that has all of Cork talking. Listen to The Big Drive Home weekdays from four. Identify the Christmas hit to win. Lorraine's one second Christmas song with Cork Rooftop Farm Shop on Corn Market Street. Your first choice for organic food and sustainable gifts and plants this Christmas. Listen and win from 4 p.m. on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 On Quartz 96FM. Now, not being a medical card holder, I, I wouldn't be familiar with the kind of things you are entitled to normally uh, from your dentist. So this morning I went and looked it up. Uh, all medical card holders are entitled to a number of dental treatments per year. Two fillings extractions as necessary 
dental examination, I assume, cleaning and a scale uh, and polish. I just wanted to know before I spoke to you, Teresa. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. Now, you wanted uh, to bring something to our attention. Yeah, um, I actually have a problem with my own tooth at the moment and um, I would be on a pension, um, worked all my life, paid PSI, whatever, um, actually worked with a severe illness and wasn't able to get a medical card at the time, um, even though I wouldn't have been on a huge income, but I kept working because that's what I wanted to do. So sometimes I think people have this perceived notion that people on medical cards are kind of, you know, um, scroungers or whatever you like, you'll get your very own to be not working or whatever. But um, I would just say to people, just be very careful before you judge. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people out there working um, that don't have medical cards that actually need them. And then there, we have a system where uh, the government made a political decision rather than a societal decision and gave out medical cards to everybody in pension age, regardless of income. I have no problem with people on pensions having a medical card, obviously. But when you have people that are in a very high social uh, bracket when it comes to disposable income and they have a medical card and people who need it don't, um, and they're cutting back services on medical cards. And when it comes to dental services, They've cut back radically on what you're entitled to. Well, no. Um, there, there's the, there's no. the um, the list I read out this morning. I got it from the HSC yeah. website this morning, and and it said it gives a long list, in fact, of of medical conditions and a long list of pre-existing conditions under which you're entitled to certain things. But there's also a general list of entitlements with a medical card, a dental examination, two fillings, extractions as you need them. So, so where is the, what, what has happened? At the moment, um, that, that was cut back a few years ago, but we won't go into that now. At the moment, you cannot get a dentist if you ha- if you need an emergency um, extraction um, because the dentists are in... Um, Sorry, my dog is back. That's all right. Um, they're in uh, a dispute with the government over pay. Um, and so if you ring any dentist at the moment and you say that you're a medical card holder, you'll you'll just be told no. Um, and even if you're lucky enough that your dentist is keeping on some of their old medical card patients, um, you will be waiting weeks, if not longer, for an appointment because they're so backed up and there's so many people in my position I literally have a hole in my tooth since I would say the beginning of October Um, and every tooth along up from there now is suffering at the moment because of it Um, I'm in constant kind of nagging pain with it and then it kind of goes into a crescendo of pain where you're just you can't cope and you know toothache is very hard to yeah. But also, I then like you'll just go, okay. Um, I rang the dentist and I said, okay, um, like, what's the situation? And she said, you might need a root canal. And I said, how much is a root canal? And she said, it's 600 euros. Now, if you're on a pension and a lot of people on pensions are just living on pension, you're living on just it's 208 euros. It's it's not a lot of money. It's three weeks' money for a root canal. 
It is, yeah. yeah. And like that's three weeks if you're paying nothing else. But as you yeah. know, PJ, we're paying ESB bills, which have gone crazy. I've cut my ESB um, usage half this year, basically, because I'm not turning on the heating. Um, and it's still the same. It co- it's costing me the same as it was last year. So because we're outsourcing our ESB, we're buying it from other countries. And now we have a situation where you have, my son rang me yesterday and he has a medical condition and he has a tooth and like he would be like me, he he wouldn't be one to, you know, he, he'd keep going as long as he could with it. Um, and he was in the same position. He rang every dentist and he was like, I'm really in agony. I can't deal with this. And he's trying to go to college as well. And he just, uh, he can't get an appointment. And, you know, Irish mammies, we put up with ourselves. But when it comes to our children, you're kind of like, like, but I'm just thinking, I'm not the only one in this situation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, like, can we get a, the dentist's point of view? Obviously, they have an argument with the government, which they think is serious enough, I'm sure. And, like, I mean, they're medical professionals, so I'm sure they're, like, are they not obliged to help people when it's an emergency situation? Are they, mm-hmm. is it, is it moral or even from, like, if from a moral point of view, it obviously isn't right to leave people in pain. Sure. And, but even from whatever they're, I, do they take the same oath as a doctor sure. in concern of, you know, how they take care of patients? And then have, have you called? Have you called or tried calling the dental hospital? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, the dental hospital would have normally, um, pre-COVID, uh, would have given out so many um, emergency appointments. You would go there in the morning, which is fine if you're living in the city. But you would go there in the morning, and the first how many ever would be taken in. And of course, if you're in pain, you would do that. Um, but even with COVID now, they're not doing that. They'll take so many phone calls. But it's like, like it's even from the point of view of if you're in the situation, PJ, where like I've had to, I, I had a root canal when I was working and with young children and everything, every time I saved up the money to get the root canal, I think at the time it was, it was a colossal amount of money for, I think it was about six hundred pounds at the mm. time. And it's several large. visits, and it's time-consuming, and it's a lot of pain yeah, in between. And oh yeah, and plus, like from when you're trying to save that as just an ordinary working person, it's a lot of money. And the the health implications when, like, it's very short-sighted of the government as well, because the implications for your health as from your from a dental point of view, as your dentist is the first person who will spot mouth cancer of any kind Correct. or show cancer, he, they, they're the ones that will spot that. Heart disease is very um, like prevalent. If, if you have something wrong with your gums or your teeth, it's it's something that heart disease is a real danger. Correct. So I, your your dentist will spot that. There's so many things your dentist will spot. And a good, dent, a good dentist is gold. A good gold, dentist is gold. gold. Yeah. yeah, I I actually suffer from chronic pain, and my dentist that I used to go to, he was amazing because um he complete he went away he read up on my condition, mm-hmm. and he did everything he could. He understood that I needed extra anesthesia. He was extra gentle. 
Um, you know, so I and I mean, I, I just don't understand why the government are allowing this to happen. I I was I, I think it's very mean in the first place that they've taken so many. And just a quick one, Teresa, have you asked have you asked your dentist or have you asked your dentist receptionist when you I call what the problem dentist. is? I've I rang every dentist in my area and I rang the HSC and they were sending me to a dentist they hoped. Uh, like she was lovely, the girl in the HSC, I have to say. I rang a, most dentists just go, no, we don't take them. They're actually, I think they're just frustrated with them, with it themselves. And they're, they can, it can be quite demeaning when you ring. And it's like, uh, first of all, if you ring and you say, and you explain your problem, which I was doing the start, obviously, they, they, they'll give you an appointment. And then once you say you have a medical card, no, we're not taking medical cards. And it's virtually, they just hang up the phone. Um, one dentist I rang was amazing. Um, I don't want to name her name because obviously I don't want to give away my sure, own sure, identity. Sure, sure. But um, she was just, I, she was a receptionist and she works with her husband and she was just amazing. Um, she really did try everything to help me. But I mean, I'm in a situation where I can't walk into a dentist and they tell me I need a root canal and I don't have 600 euros. Do you know what I mean? And even like... If I go in now, I have to pay 50 for them just to look at it. Yeah. I think it was another 100. I Now I, I'm open to correction on this, but 100 for um, uh, um, an x-ray. Um, so that's before you've anything done. I mean, that's before you they decide whether you need an extraction or you need a root canal or whatever you need. So you're, you're already in the 200 euro zone which is a pension. And if you're even as a working family, like most, a lot of working families are on minimum wage. So, I mean, that's going to be half their income as well. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it, I just feel it needs to be highlighted. And I just think on the point of view of the dentist, I just think it's a little immoral. And from the point of view of the government, obviously the, the dentists had been pushed into this position by the government that they weren't being listened to. So mm-hmm. I'm sure they didn't take this action lightly. Well, I'm sure that um, if the dentists have the same crib as the, the doctors, I know that and many, many yeah, doctors exactly. will tell you that the, con- yeah. the contract is 50 years old or the bones of it. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. And like, I mean, if, if you're uh, plus... Like when you're a medical card holder, you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And I mean, if they have to be aware that like at the moment we have no part, we have no opposition in government. They're like a melting pot of one government and there is going to be a populist vote and they have nobody to blame but themselves because we've been promised for years that they're going to start out the health system by every successive government that has gone in we even have had a Taoiseach who's been a doctor who we all thought okay he's going to be the guy but we all know in the hospitals there are people at the top earning huge wages there's consultants being allowed to bring in private patients into hospitals where they shouldn't be using that time they're using public Mm. patients time to bring in uh, they're, 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 they're trying to tackle that but they're not getting anywhere with it but I, I get and there's a huge shortage of consultants as well and I do get you GP, and there's a, there's a huge we're leaking medical people we're leaking them and we're leaking doctors we're leaking nurses yeah. I went for a death they're, scan they're, they're leaving in plane loads you're right 
Yeah. I, I went for a DAX scan and the girl who was doing the DAX scan said to me, she said, I think at the end of this year, there'll be nobody left in CUH because she said the amount of people coming in here, because at the moment, as you know, you can, it's amazing during COVID, we can access the martyr for appointments. And I was waiting for a bone scan for years because I've had to take steroids for years. So my bones are, you know, I have to keep an eye on them. And so that's what I'm actually doing at the moment is eating the calcium tablet and shoving it into my tooth just to try and keep it, uh, to keep the hole filled because the pain is just unreal at night. And when it's cold, it's just killing. We're losing them. Um, we so, are. Like, there's so I, there's so much has come up in our, in our conversation, and I think it, a lot of people will resonate with you. Um, we we're hoping yeah, to I, figure out from what is going on. We'd like to we'd like to love to talk to a dentist actually as to what is going on here. Um, but Teresa, thank you for being with us on the opinion. I do hope that I'd hate to think of the prospect of facing into no, Christmas no, no. with with pain from yeah. your teeth. Oh my God. It's it's it, I I I honestly I can, I'm not the only one and I also heard of somebody that needs an operation and they need to get their teeth checked and they can't. Yeah, I can see that, and that that's another thing too, with regard to that list. Thank you, Teresa. That list from the HSE website, which I only printed off at ten to eight this morning, so I'm assuming it's up to date. I'm assuming it's up to date and one of the people, one of the groups of people who'd be entitled to dental treatment would be people waiting for major surgery. But that's not happening at the moment either. 1850 Just on the medical card, that you get a doctor-only card automatically when you're over 70. Medical card is means-tested, but they can understand the difficulty. Yeah, and anyone who's ever tried to get a, a medical card for anybody that they know, it's not easy. They don't give them out like confetti at a wedding. Doctors are doctors only cards. There's quite a number of them out there. But trying to get a medical card. Uh, 1850-715-996. Dr. Ellen Jean Long is a dentist from Cork, but based in Dublin. She says a lot of dentists pulled out of the system. They were promised PPE from the HSC at the start of all this. They didn't get it. They are getting frustrated because they say the system's in crisis since lockdown because of the sheer cost of things like PPE. Thanks for that. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. It's been another massive year on Quartz 96 FM. Bring it right back. We won four National Inroad Radio Awards. Oh my God! We made your Christmas with a 10K toy giveaway. Yay! And you raised over 385,000 euro on Radiothon. Generous to people of Cork. Thank you. Ooh, I love it when you do it like that. Now, the latest radio research is out, and it's really massive. 227,000 people. Listen to Cork's 96FM and C103 every week. Source, JNLR Ipsos, MRBI 2021, 3. Ooh, I love it when you do it like that. A huge 
huge thank you for listening. A huge thank you for listening. Have a happy Christmas and a great new year. Great new year. When you're closer, I love you. From Corks 96 FM. Hashtag Choose Radio. Corks 96 FM. Talking yesterday to Dio Dwyer about the very unfortunate situation in which she found herself with her, her young lad Evan and the PCR test. And because of the PCR test being called so late by Cope Foundation, they asked for it so late she couldn't go to Disney. Her heart was broken about that. But the subject of equine therapy came up and there's a few centres doing it. One of them is a couple gal in Whitechurch. Judah Buckley, how are you doing? Hi, PJ, how are you? Good. I remember hearing about this a couple of years ago that um, horses had seemed to have some particular connection with, with children on the spectrum. That's what you found, yeah, isn't it? I did indeed, yeah. I've done a lot of research on this subject myself, uh, PJ. I'm 10 years involved with uh, children on the spectrum and indeed with children and young adults as well without any appearing to be uh, having no problems, you know. But uh, horses seem to have a huge connection with these children. And I suppose... Uh, my experience, I suppose, really what set me going was uh, during a therapy session about eight years ago, um, I was dealing with a little boy who was verbally challenged. And uh, he, I, I recall he saying his very first word, namely Stevie, who's the name of my therapy horse no. during a session. And uh, I suppose seeing is believing then, you know. And after that, I went away and I decided I'd do a lot of research, which I have done over the last eight years now. Of course, the parents were absolutely blown away when they heard this, but they couldn't believe it, yeah. And uh, as you can well imagine. So I suppose, look, um, I have I have a little poem here, PJ, that might be of interest that would maybe explain where horses come into the lives of children. And uh, if you'd like me maybe to, to say it, there's just four small verses in it. And it might actually give you some idea or give your listeners some idea as to what uh, the connection with horses is all about. Sure, give us a go. I'll give it a go. Okay. It's a poem I came across written by a guy called uh, John Anthony Davis. No, I'm no poet, uh, but I'll, I'll give this a go for you. I saw a child who couldn't walk, sit on a horse, laugh and talk, then ride it through a field of daisies and yet, he could not walk unaided. I saw a child, no legs below, sit on a horse and make it go through woods of green and places he had never been to sit and stare except from a chair. I saw a child who could only crawl, mount a horse and sit up tall, put it through degrees of paces and laugh at the wonder in our faces. I saw a child born into strife take up and hold the reins of life. And that same child was heard to say, thank God for showing me the way. That's wonderful. That says it all, because I've heard so much about horses. No no one seems to understand it, do they, Julia? We just say it happens, we don't know why it happens, but horses and children, particularly children with a difficulty, there's a, there's a link there. 
There is a huge link, a huge link, a huge link. I'll tell you, look, I suppose really motor skills are, are a huge thing that, that kids on the spectrum have problems with. And they're developed in a normal kind of a fashion with horses. The child learns to ride and eventually groom maybe and tack here with me. Yeah. Right? Equine therapy offers a safe, secure environment where the therapist is close at hand as new skills are learned. Right? These new skills and the child's continued improvement upon them increases their self-confidence, yeah. which increases their desire and willingness to learn skills at home or at school. Yeah. Then learning is no longer scary, but fun, interesting and rewarding. Are places like yours yeah. open? Are you busy? Are you, I mean, has COVID affected your ability to take people on? Well, I was in close contact with a child. Obviously, uh, it's it's rampant out there, you know, the COVID is, and children seem to uh, be affected, obviously, as well as us adults. So I was closed down just for two weeks. But other than that, I've been working right through. Um, okay. I'm quite busy. I give a lot of time. Uh, when people ring and ask, look, how long is the session? I say, look, how long is a, a string? Because it depends on how the child is reacting yeah. and how the horse reacts to the yeah. child. Yeah. I give plenty of time to each customer. I don't, I'm not in this for money. I have a passion for this. You know? Okay. All right, Julia. Well, your, your outlet is called Couple Gal White Church Equestrian Centre. And you can be found on Facebook, found on Instagram, found on many other uh, platforms. So thank you for being with me today. That's Julia Buckley. Um, there is something mysterious about horses and children with difference uh, or additional needs uh, might be worth looking into. Equine therapy. Cork. Uh, at Cork Hoppel Gal. Okay. 1850-715-996. Can I just put out there, there's no general public walk-in this morning. This is for booster jabs in City Hall. I've just spent an hour queuing because everyone told me there was. I'm keen to get the booster. I know the website says there isn't, but people have heard before of staff using up the vaccines and taking on all comers. So I decided I wouldn't miss a chance. I can tell you now there's definitely no walk-ins until Saturday. Okay, you're looking for Equine Therapy Cork if you're looking up Julia's Centre. Equine Therapy Cork. This little phrase has been taking TikTok by storm. That's a law and that's a fact. It's the catchphrase of Richard Grogan, employment lawyer. Uh, Here's one of the things he says. When it comes to employment law in Ireland, there's lots of it, but it's all over the place. And most employers haven't got a clue. So the people who will be watching this are probably not employers. So when I'll be putting up information about employment law, chances are you're going to be streets ahead of everybody else. Now, Richard, before I ask you about holidays and taking annual leave, how did you get the idea to go on TikTok? Good morning. Good morning to you. Um, well, I was on Instagram for a while, and uh, I was asked by the Law Society, would I do a course on uh, for solicitors on you know, putting up information on social media? So somebody said to me, well, you're not on TikTok. So last Thursday week, I decided, well, I better go on TikTok so that I wouldn't get criticized by other solicitors for not being on TikTok. So I went on TikTok. (laughs) Which is like the biggest platform in the world at the moment. The one that drew drew our attention to you is this particular one about holidays, because 
at this time of the year, as we come up to the end of December, we, we hear a lot of reports that people are under pressure to take all of their holidays, use it or lose it, before the end of December. And it's happening right, left and centre. Now you put, all, I'll, I'll talk to you about it in a second, but you, you, you summed it all up in 25 seconds. An employer who says that you can't carry over after the 31st of December is breaking the law. End of story, no discussion, there's no choice, there's no nothing, that's the leave here in Irish law. So if anybody tells them, you can play this, read to them and tell them, I'm happy to see them in the WRC if they want to go on with that stupidity. Because, as I say, I'm being reasonable, that's the law and that's a fact. All around us people are being told, Richard, you know them days now, if you haven't taken that four or five days or that three or four days, you don't take them, they're gone. Not true. Yeah. No, the the annual leave year in Ireland was set in 1998, so it's not exactly new law, as being the 1st of April to the 31st of March. And that actually is in Section 2 of the Organisation of Working Time Act. And I'm sorry for quoting legislation, but uh, lots of people come out with this thing of, oh, well, this is the leave year that we have. Uh, no, you can't do that. An employer can't change the statutory leave year. So for your 20 days that are set in stone in the legislation, the leave year is the 1st of April to the 31st of March. Now, if you've got 30 days holidays, then in those situations, the employer can say, well, the 10 there that are the, the 10 extra, you need to get rid of them. That's fine. That's different. But for, uh, for the statutory leave year, it's 1 April to 31 March. And so that's its stone. When people have a contract of employment with their terms and conditions of work, that may well contain dates between which leave has to be taken. Is that legal? Well, it depends. I mean, we we would see an awful lot of contracts that come in to us and it's the, the 1st of January to the 31st of December and that's whether we're active for employers or employees. The minute we see it on one for an employer, we go, yeah, you need to change that. Um, as regards taking holidays at particular times, an employer is allowed to say, yes, look, you know, we've always had what well, we used to have the builders' holidays, for example, going back many years, the first two weeks in August. So an employer is entitled to say, look, we close down for, we say, the first two weeks in August, and we need everybody to take two weeks' holidays at that stage. And that's perfectly legal. Uh, other than that, if the employer just decides, well, I better think of getting what I'm going to do this year, they have to discuss it with the employee or their union. They have to take into account their personal and family circumstances and their opportunity for rest and relaxation. So you have to take those into account. Then the employer can do it, but they have to give you one month's notice. So uh, if they're thinking of putting it out, now you have to take uh, three days at Christmas. Well, we're now into the 14th of uh, December, a bit late. A lot of people earlier this year in a number of companies, remember this came up at a discussion I was having with friends earlier in the year. A lot of companies asked people to use up a certain proportion of their leave before a given date, say the 30th of June. What's that about? It depends. Um, some companies just don't, are looking at scheduling it through the year. You don't want everybody, not everybody can go off on holidays, yeah. you know, in December. So they're saying, look, we we have that. I mean, what you'll find in a lot of companies who are good employers, they'll turn around and say at the beginning of the leave year, look, um, we're now setting out the leave year. Very often they'll say, by the way, we're giving some precedence in booking first for those who have uh, young children particularly those who might have children in creches because uh, there will be times of the year when creches close down and they have to take their holidays then. So they'll do that. 
And then they say, well, right, we need you to take your, your holidays. And by the way, you're supposed to take two weeks uninterrupted every year. Yeah. You're supposed to have two weeks. So that you're supposed, you may get more than that, but you're supposed to take a two-week block every year. Yeah, that's a, legal, that's a legal right. So for people who are being told, and I'm thinking particularly now people in retail and people in a lot of low-paid employment where they barely get the statutory 20 days, you cannot be made to use up leave before the end of December. Absolutely not. You've, the leave year ran from the 1st of April and an employer says, you know, use it or lose it. Well, they can come the 1st of April next year, they can be down looking at a WRC complaint form saying I didn't get my holidays. Okay. All right. Listen, Richard, people can find you on TikTok or any other platform. Richard Grogan. Uh, videos are short, snappy, and always finish with the catchphrase. That's the law, and that's a fact. Richard, thanks very much. Thank you. Take Cheers. care. Bye. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, this coming Friday, a free Panto Friday on Cork's 96FM for Aladdin, which is this year's Panto at the Everyman, listening right through the day for your chance to win a family pass. We'll be asking questions about Aladdin. If you have the answers, then you could get one of our precious family passes. Stay listening all day Friday to win your way to Aladdin at the Everyman, only on Cork's 96FM. Speaking of giveaways, I have Riverdance tickets. We'll give them away in the last hour today. Um, You'll be answering a question about either a river or a dance. And you can choose to answer a question about either a river or a dance. And then answer the question correctly and you're off to see Riverdance Live at the Marquee in June of 2022. Funny games coming up with that a little bit later. Gordon has a question on annual leave and Richard Grogan's contribution to the programme. Do you have to take annual leave days at Christmas if your company closes even though you don't want to take that annual leave? We rang Richard about this. He says it depends on when you're notified. So it's a month ago, then yes. But if it's last minute, then no. If the company has a policy and has told you about it and there's been a discussion, then yes. But if they're just telling you now, then no. Because a lot of places take a Christmas break. They close for a week or 10 days and they require their employees to take three days annual leave between Christmas and New Year uh, to allow for that closure. And that is legal, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it happens to a lot of people. It is, it is legal. Uh, but if they jump it on you at the last minute and they decide, oh, we're closing for 10 days uh, and you need to take three days leave, then they can't do with that. They can't actually do that. But thank you, Gordon, for that query. What if you're in the Defence Forces? The leave year for the Defence Forces ends on the 31st of January. See, I'm sure Richard would argue against that unless the defence forces are different to anybody else the leave year runs from April the 1st to March the 31st and that is a statutory provision in law 
unless the defence forces are subject to different law. His argument, I think, that he was making very clearly with me was that no employer can change the, the law calendar or the leave calendar to suit themselves. Just can't be done. Uh, but maybe the army's different, I don't know. 1850-715-996. I want to talk about something that I think we'll all face it at some point in our lives. Uh, I faced it myself in 2018. Um, Fiona is facing it this year. And a lot of people will be facing it for the very, very first time. And that is going through Christmas without a loved one. That you've lost a loved one in the course of the year. And it's a loved one you would have been around and spent time with and had fun with uh, at the festive season. And they won't be there this year. And whether that passing was sudden or slow or came at the end of a long illness, it doesn't actually matter. They, they will not be there this year. And their presence will be missed by everybody. So how do you get through that? It's a very, very difficult time. Richard Hogan is a family therapist. I thought we'd talk about it for a little while. Richard, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Sorry to hear about yourself and Fiona's loss. Well, it was 19, or it was 2018. My, my dad passed away and yeah. Fiona's mom passed away last, actually last Christmas, New Year time. And I want to focus particularly on that in a minute because, but there were loads of people coming up to their first Christmas without a loved yeah. one. And it's the most difficult part of the year. Well, it is because for, for all the reasons that Christmas is special, you know, being together with family and, you know, everyone together and the idea of coming back and reconnecting. But if there's a space, if there's an emptiness at the table, it's even more pronounced during Christmas. And I suppose when someone dies over the course of a year, that year will be a year of firsts, first birthdays without them, first anniversaries without them. And it's a very difficult, you know, all that year is going to be very difficult. And of course, Christmas is going to be extra difficult because of what I said there of all the cloying songs about family and coming together. It almost, you know, makes the loss sound and reverberate even louder. Yeah. I remember when my, my dad passed away, actually it was in January uh, when he died, and coming up to the right. Christmas, there's always this old tradition, that you and I, I personally I'm glad it's dying out, there was a tradition that you didn't celebrate the next Christmas. Uh, I think that's right, gone, okay. and I'm glad it's gone. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, there was a, there was a dad-shaped hole on the couch. You know what yeah, I mean? there is that exactly. There is a you, you know, know that phrase of the God shaped hole, but there's a love shaped hole, I think, and, and and Christmas brings it out. Yeah. So what 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 is it, is is your advice to someone who is in eleven days time yeah. facing that first Christmas? And that's many people, PJ, listening to your it call is. today. That's a, that's many people out there um, who've experienced a loss, and, and of course, with, with coronavirus, you know, there's a lot of people that are suffering over the course of this last two years, and yeah. and there's someone missing now. Uh, there's someone now again missing at the table this year. My advice would be to you know just to re- just to remember that grieving is a process, and that often we put ourselves under incredible pressure. 
to make everything be okay or to have a normal Christmas or to have a good Christmas. And that pressure, can, you know, that pressure can place an incredible demand on you. And I think it's really important that you allow yourself to grieve because if we cut, if we put away the grieving process, let's say, it's it protracts it and heightens it. So we have to go through that. This is going to be the first Christmas, but a huge part of being resilient and overcoming adversity is understanding that it's ephemeral. Everything is transient. It's going to pass within 10, 15 days. This will be over. And I see people in my own clinic, PJ, you know, coming up, coming into the clinic before Christmas, asking me, what, what, what should I do this Christmas? How am I going to get through this? The kids want me to do this. And I do want to do that. And I want to be on my own to kind of think about what's happened this year to me. And I see the same person in January and this, and the sense of relief, the sense of like, you know, I got through that. I got through the first Christmas without that person who was so important in my life. And I think it's important to all remember that it is ephemeral and it is transient and it will be passed. And then we'll be moving on to a new year. And also to celebrate the person that we did have in our life. How lucky are we that we met someone that we could celebrate our lives with? I mean, not everyone gets that. So it's really important that we celebrate that relationship and realize that the person would have wanted us to thrive. Mm. But the first thing is to understand that we need to go through the grieving process. And that's normal. Yes. And the lonely moment that will come. It'll yeah. come, it'll hit yeah. you, it'll slap you in the Absolutely. face in the middle of the moment. You could yeah. be, the whole room could be laughing at something and bang, it hits you in the face. That moment will come. How do you deal with it? Yeah. I think it's very important that we, we express what we're feeling. I think when we hold on to something and we try to keep it inside and, we, and that internalized voice is going around it, we have a tendency then to ruminate it because ruminate on it because our ideas aren't structured. And when we ruminate, we're just feeding on the same thing going around and around. And that's very destructive for our well-being and our wellness. So what I would always say to people is, like, you know, express it to someone that, you know, a safe place to express it with or also journal it. Write it down. What are you feeling? What, what that emptiness, that loneliness? Write that down and have a look at what it is, because when we do that, we structure our thoughts and it's very healthy to do that that because it stops us from ruminating ruminating isn't healthy ruminating is a maladaptive response to kind of a, a really deep feeling like that it just goes around and around and so when you write it down or you say it to someone if you express it to somebody um, it allows you to kind of hear the thoughts but also an important part of that pj is to allow the person you express it to to be clumsy in their in their um you know response we're not very good as a nation on the, on the whole death talk and people say things because of that you know people because of that anxiety to speak about death we often say clumsy things or we get it wrong and it causes huge stress mm. i had a client recently tell me that uh, you know his son-in-law uses the word passing about his wife and it drives him crazy that he says they know your wife is her passing and he's like she's not passed she's dead and there was a huge fight about it and i think allowing people to be clumsy in their expression is a mm. is a part of kind of, you know, allowing conflict not to develop. That one resonated with me, I must say, Richard, because, mm. you know, my dad didn't pass. My dad died. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and like, yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a word we use to avoid using the D word. Exactly. And that's, I think, is a, I think the Irish people aren't very good at death talk. And I think we try to use euphemisms to kind of couch our own uncomfortableness with it. And, and, I, and I suppose what I'd say to people, if they have lost someone this year and someone has died in their family and left that huge shaped love hole there in their lives, I would say allow people to be clumsy in their expression, you know, because we are anxious about talking about death. and We don't like to use the word dead because we, th we think it's so final. So we say passing. And again, yeah, it can bring up a lot for us. Mm. The other thing too is that someone will at one point or other turn to you and ask you, are you okay? It's the most human thing yeah. in the world to do. Is it right though? Yeah. 
Um, I, th- I do. I think it's important. Well, of course, it depends on who's asking you that, you know, that question, now, obviously. Um, and I, I do think it's an important question to ask somebody, are you OK? I think we can go around it in many ways and kind of, again, skirt around the idea. But sometimes we need to be hitting the old rag and bone shop of the heart. And someone says it to us very clearly, are you OK? And again, it's, it's about who's asking that question and about having a discussion around how you're feeling. And also, I think it's very important, let's say, if kids, uh, you know, of their parents, say one of the parents has, has died, uh, I think it's very important that um, they allow the, the mother or father to have the Christmas that they want to have often or good intentions and saying, oh, no, they're not going to be on their own this Christmas. We have to listen to the person and what they want. Yes. They might want to be on, you know, they might want to be on their own. They might want to be around uh, the family uh, on that particular moment. And we have to hear that because it often brings a lot of stress into the, the person who's just experienced a huge, huge grief and loss. And it brings a lot of stress into the children because they're trying to force something on their parent who doesn't want to do it. And it causes all sorts of tensions and it and it can tend to boil over on Christmas morning if yeah. things, you know, get a little, you know, if things don't go exactly as planned. Yeah, there's a there's a tendency as well to want everything to be normal for the kids. Exactly. Yeah. Are you sometimes forgetting, Richard, in wanting everything to be and it's, again, it's human. Are you sometimes <clears throat> forgetting that, well, you know, he was their granddad or she was their nana or their mom or their dad and it's not normal for them either exactly Uh, and that's the process of grieving you know and that's allowing the family because the family you know the system of the family has experienced a huge loss right and that's that's Sorry. And that's really important that we um, we allow that to be present. I suppose when we deny that and we try to make everything normal and we try to normalize the fact that someone's missing, we just bring a lot of pain into the family and suffering into the family. We have to, accept, we have to celebrate the fact that that person lived and was a part of our lives and was a positive partner of our lives, hopefully. But that they've also died and we have to celebrate their life. And when we try to normalize and make everything seem like it's okay, we only we're only actually, you know, further exacerbating the whole grieving process and protracting it. And it's just it just makes the, everything seem a little bit false. Mm. Yeah. There are those who have lost a loved one at or around Christmas. And I think that's mm. exceptionally hard. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, because the the, the the season has become linked to the loss. And the the only thing with that is that, you know, distance and time is never gonna is never gonna fix that, but it will allow the person to, to come to terms with it and to and and to live with it. And that's the idea of grief really. It's not about the person you'd be fine about it, so that you, you come to li- learn how to live with it and you manage your sense of loss. And what's happened to you? And again, I suppose when people launch those things and say you'll be fine, you're getting, you know, time heals all wounds. It's not that time heals it; it's that the time gives you the perspective to be able to allow yourself to live with it. Um, that that space is always going to be empty, but yeah. it's about celebrating the person who lived and who was a positive part of your life. I think that's the really important part that we reframe that, and you know, with time that we begin to see that that it's a, a celebration of the person's li- a, a life and who they were and what they brought into your life. If you are struggling on the day itself, Richard, or indeed any other day of the season, but mm. I think that Christmas Day and Stephen's Day are probably the two big family days when everyone gathers. It's perfectly yeah. okay, isn't it, to just go out for a walk around the block with or without the dog on your own? I think that's really important, PJ. Anyway, I think that's a very important part of uh, you know of getting through your uh, of your grief and being you know 
being present with it and allowing yourself space from other people. I think that's a huge thing. And I think we feel uncomfortable to do that. We feel like we're going to make people feel that we're not okay if we decide, you know, I'm going to go for a walk on my own. Um, I think that you have to listen to yourself. As we get to a certain age, we, we begin to get a little bit better with, you know, not being so consumed with what everybody else thinks. And I think if you have experienced this loss in your life, it's important that you do have those moments to go out into nature and, and to be with yourself and to your thoughts and to celebrate the person and think about them and what they meant to you. And, and that's a very private thing. And again, for children, let's say, of a parent who's been who lost, who's lost this year, allow your surviving parent to have those moments and don't become overwhelmed if they if they feel if you see them you know in themselves and they're, they're a little bit quieter than they normally are allow them that space allow them that room to kind of grieve i think it's a hugely significant thing and, and, and i do think you don't need to ask them because you know yeah exactly you do uh, if they're gone Penny quiet they're gone quiet you know why they're gone quiet yeah yeah, exactly. And you can all be quiet together, perhaps, you know, I mean, yeah. we don't all have to be talking at the time, all the time to kind of, yeah. you know, try to try to ameliorate the fact that there's a loss here. I think the, the more we talk about it, the more we celebrate it, the more we talk about someone's life, you know, the more chance we have of, uh, of having uh, moments that are, are nice in our lives again. Here's one. Uh, my daughter's only 27, lost her partner in 2019. They had two small children. The children got us through that first Christmas. We now go to the grave and leave a present on the grave for Denny. Christmas is hard, but the excitement of the kids gets us through. They have a unique way of of dealing with things, don't they? Absolutely. They really do, and their innocence and their perspective is something that we need to tap into at times. And I think that's what they do. They reconnect us with that innocence uh, at a time of before we've experienced loss because they see the world in all its newness and all its magic. And, you know, when someone when someone dies, that little light can go out for a while, at least. And I think children reconnect us with magic and they reconnect us with the wonder of it all. So, again, yeah, that's a very tragic thing to have to have happened to this young mother and children. And, you know, it's not that time is going to fix that, but it's going to help her to, you know, as she gets perspective, you know, as moving forward a distance in time, she'll be able to come to terms with what's happened to her and, and um, celebrate the person's life that gave her those two beautiful children. Do you have a, a website or anything that people can look at, Richard? Sure, yeah, you can contact me on, um, in, uh, sorry, therapyinstitute.ie. Therapyinstitute.ie. Thanks for being with us today, uh, Richard Hogan, family therapist. Appreciate your contribution. It's a difficult one, but one we had to bring up because it's 11 days out and a lot of people are preparing. This will be our one, two, three, fourth Christmas without Dad, and I know that moment will happen. And I know it will, it will hit you out of the blue. It hits me differently. It hits my sister, my brother, my mom differently. Uh, but it will, it'll be there. Uh, I desperately feel for, for Fiona because it will hit her at some point. And I feel for uh, my dear friends, the Duns, for example, who lost Ted uh, this year. That they will, they will struggle with with Christmas. I, I, my heart will be with you if you will struggle with this particular Christmas. Um, but just just take it. Just just work your way through it as best you possibly can. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Here's another message. Um, I lost my dad on Christmas Day and my mum on Christmas Eve.
For years I used to dread Christmas. Now I'm learning to celebrate their lives. This is the first year in a long time that I'm looking forward to it. That man is right. I thoughts be with you over the festive season. Thanks for that. On annual leave and Richard Grogan on earlier on, what about call centres where people have to work on Christmas Day and New Year's Day should they get a day off in lieu? It's on his TikTok. There is law surrounding that, but I think you are allowed to get a day off in lieu of Christmas Day or New Year's Day. It's interesting this year in that the three public holidays... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Christmas Day, Stephen's Day, and New Year's Day all fall at weekends. So there's extra public holidays to go with that, like the Monday is a bank is a holiday for Christmas Day. The Tuesday is a holiday for Stephen's Day, and the following Monday is a holiday for for New Year's Day. Uh, but they do change from time to time. But are you entitled to it if you work in a call center? I imagine no matter where you work, you're entitled to it. Now, someone did tweet and say annual leave must be taken as per contract and company rules. Richard would argue with that. Richard would argue with that and say, well, the leave year is set out in law. Yes, 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 he says here. No holo- in, in response to that particular tweet, uh, Richard says, the holiday year is set out in Section 2 of the Organisation of Working Time Act. There was no opt-out of the statutory leave year. And I assume that that also means for the army. 1-800-GOLD-RECORDS-ACROSS-THE-GLOBE-HAS-JUST-ANNOUNCED-AN-IRISH-HEADLINE-TOUR-AND 
and we'll play two shows at Cork Opera House on April 2nd and 3rd. Tickets are on sale this Friday. Access all areas. Riverdance returns to Cork Live at the Marquee, taking place from the 2nd to 5th of June 2022. It's the new 25th anniversary show and tickets are on sale now from usual outlets. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by mailing us here at AAA at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Getting quite a few messages from people who are coming up to the first Christmas without a loved one or indeed uh, maybe maybe many Christmases with, without a loved one and um, we're able to identify with what Richard was saying and uh, just have a think back we'll probably podcast extra that as well later on so that you can hear it again uh, for yourselves but there is no normal there is absolutely no normal and there should be no expectations which kind of in a, on a lighter note takes me nicely and swiftly to Virginia Foley from Up She Rises on Instagram because Virginia believes that shoulding or doing things because we think we should is the bane of our lives. Virginia, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. That's what you do believe, isn't it? That we should. The only thing we should do is what we feel we want to do. Yes, and look, I use humour to build people's awareness around this and I keep reminding people we keep shooting our pants and it's just a phrase to, I suppose, kick our brains into action because what happens when it's about the language we use on ourselves. When we say, oh, I should do this and I, I should do that, it's like a, the technical term is like a cognitive distortion, but it pushes us into fear and worry and anxiety if we're doing something that we know in our gut that we shouldn't or that we don't want to, you know. So I suppose I use it in the context of teaching women to build their confidence Um that's because it's part of my business. But in the wider context, actually on social media and even at home, I find myself catching myself saying it now. So it's a good little to interrupt the habit loop, you know. So this morning you may have already shed your pants. You know, we're saying these words to ourselves all the time and it's getting us into hot water, basically, you know. Sometimes we make decisions of what we're going to do for ourselves based on societal norms, what we are expected mm-hmm. to do by society. It's not always the wrong thing to do, is it? No, and you know, it's it's quite linked to, I was doing a campaign in November, basically trying to normalise the word no. Yes. That we're really terrified to say the word no, and it's really linked to that should. Like we say yes to things, our gut is telling us maybe not to, and then we backtrack and we go into a loop of anxiety and overthinking and worry. Um, and actually, no is an instrument of integrity. It'll allow us to actually be honest and speak the truth, you know. But it's just about awareness. We're, we're not even realizing that we're pleasing people and saying yes, yes, yes to things that we know deep down we probably shouldn't, you know. Do you know what one of the so reasons like, for that is, I would suggest, though, is Virginia? Do you know the mm-hmm. way we look It's a human weakness? We, we love to think what people think of us. And yes. One of the nicest things you can say about someone is they're very obliging. Mm-hmm. And we live in fear of being considered unobliging. So that's why we do stuff we don't want to do. Yes, it's like invisible barriers. And I suppose it's down to our conditioning too that it's nearly back to a tribal thing that if we say no, we'll be rejected and we'll be pushed away. But in fact, it's how people will respect you more because every time you say, you know, if you're saying yes to things that you don't want to, you're actually saying no to yourself. So that's the message your brain is getting. 
So like it's just I suppose it's really a technique to manage our thoughts better. And in the world that we're in now with the the crisis really with mental health, these are tools we can use and these are things we can do on a daily basis to just build our own awareness, give ourselves better language so that we don't fall into the the gap between who we who we want to be and I suppose who we think we should be. You know, and that's where a lot of these things kind of fester, where uh, be it in careers, in relationships, in parenting, in everyday life. It's kind of those the should is embedded into our daily mm. lives. Like and we need to we need to crack that code because it really takes away our sense of choice, our freedom and our autonomy. You know, so like count how many times you're saying things like that during the day. And how can you make a small change to, mm. you know, not keep saying yes to things that you don't want to or shooting our pants is really it was the fun it is to remind people of that you know imagine a conversation between two people over dinner uh, and she Mm -hmm. says oh I promised I'd go over there to to Mary later on and give her a hand with such and such to which the response is Jenny you're up the walls you're working all day you'll be I know but you know Mary no I can't say no to her Mm -hmm. you know And, and, and that is invariably a December thing I think we load ourselves up with stuff in December and every year mm-hmm. on the 1st or 2nd of January we say I'm never doing that again and yeah. every year we load December up it is a Christmas thing we overload our Christmas we do and I think there's this expectation as well like I even see it in children that you know they're exposed to all of these different things that are happening out there and they expect Christmas Eve boxes and they expect their expectations, which you can't help because it's around them. But it's actually like the parents too get caught up in the whole thing of, oh, well, everyone's doing this, so I should do it too. And actually the kids won't remember that. The kids will remember how you made them feel and the memories that are built at home without all of the stuff, you know, so like it does kind of encourage the more monster and like, we need to go to this activity and we need to do, and I'm not knocking for one minute that these activities are special, you know, are these maybe traditions that we've built up. But I suppose ask yourself, which ones will you really remember and which ones really matter um, and not fall into to the trap of, oh, well, everybody in school is doing this, so we should do it too, you know? Yeah, there's the important one, the should. If everyone's yes. done, you know, our our mothers used to have a saying, Virginia, I'm sure yours did, mine certainly did. Uh, if everybody wanted to run off the edge of the cliff, would you do it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it's now as an adult, you know, you know the truth of that. You don't yeah. have to follow the crowd. Mm-hmm. It just it's the discomfort, isn't it? It's the, it's the learning to just be OK sitting there going. I actually don't know if I, even if it's a don't know, even if you're not sure you want to say no, to just give yourself the space before the words come out of your mouth to actually think and go, right, do I really need or want to do this? Will the other person be that disappointed if I tell her honestly that, do you know what? I'd love to help you. I will help you. I just can't do it today. You know, it doesn't mean that you're rejecting the people. And, you know, there's a bit of awareness too in accepting people's no, because if you receive a no, then it's up to you whether to judge people or to be insulted. We kind of have to manage our own understanding of people's no's too and respect that space, you know. Yeah. So I Did think if we did a bit of work around that, we'd all be we'd all be a little bit better, wouldn't we? I think mums with kids will resonate with mm. this one, that, you know, yeah. your, your friend over the road wants you to take her kids so she can go shopping and you're thinking, Christ Siobhan, of all days. 
Now, <laughs> the normal response is, go on, so there's no problem. Jurgens, they can play away watching the telly. In your mind, you're going, Christ, Siobhan, of all days. Is there, <laughs> is there a nice way to go, Siobhan, I'd love to, girl, but I'm so sorry, I can't. We're up the walls here. Not today. And not lose. Yeah. <laughs> is, there, is there a nice way to do it without her walking down the drive going, and she's some... <laughs> and I do I think like if you say it with grace and with respect people will understand if you if you speak the truth and we're just so afraid to speak the truth you know yeah. if we just got into the habit of saying you know what I know this is awful because you might be stuck let's look at how we can do this another day it's just to do it with grace and with respect for yourself firstly yeah. but also also for your friend you know I think I know in my friendships they would respect me more if I said you know what, I'm actually buried in it today. I, I really would love to, yeah. but I'm, I'm not able to. Yeah, you also don't you know? want to get the rep represent or the reputation of being the one you can, uh, they can all dump their children on, yeah. but not saying no. Yeah. And so. I suppose underneath it, you know what, if somebody doesn't take your no well, well, then you need to question that relationship in general. Like, is that, is that really a, a relationship that's adding value to your life? Is it something that you want to work on? You know, I just think... Life is too short from your last interview alone. That tells us that life is too short to be pleasing others. You know, you really have to come back into yourself and figure out what's pleasing yourself, what that looks like first, you know. Let's talk a little bit about that, actually, Virginia, now that you bring it up. You know, I've talked so much during the year and particularly during about and related to the pandemic that, you know, self-care and, and, and kindness to self, it's, it's an Irish thing to wrap them up in the word selfishness. Yes. And the two must be separated and kept separate. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's a baseline here that's been missing all along. Like, you know, even with wellness and self-love and self-care, unfortunately, they've been commercialized to the point of, you know, no return. But I think like, and look, it's not to say that these things aren't useful, like, you know, wellness products or maybe like, you know, treatments or, you know, let, let's just say getting your hair and nails done to make yourself feel more loved. But I think the underlying thing here that needs to go back into the schools nearly is that baseline of what self-love is and what, you know, what that actually looks like so that we can build in those tools first. And then by all means, you'll know the things that are self-care and self-love. But I think what seems to be missing, particularly in the women that I work with anyway, it comes up under confidence because people think they don't have confidence. But actually, when we work through it, it turns out to be that they don't have that self-belief. They don't have that self-worth. And they're the the fundamentals that are just missing. And we Mm. need to go back and build them in sooner, you know. Come back finally to to the word should. And over the next 10 days busiest 10 days of the year mm-hmm. it'll come into your mind uh, I should really do how about asking yourself the question who says I should yes and like there's nobody in charge I think we have to remember that there's actually nobody in charge of you you don't belong to anyone you belong to yourself and I think even if just to change your awareness on it if you count how many days and like do it with a bit of humor so that you actually have fun doing this because the best way to learn it and to change that behavior and to break the pattern is to have a bit of fun because it'll build like a, a little pathway to your brain quicker, right? If you count how many times you're saying should in a day and then stop and go, right, is that actually rational? Is that, you know, what's the outcome that I'm trying to achieve here? Is that going to get me to the outcome? 
And you'll find that just building it into your awareness will, you mightn't even realize you're already saying it, that you'll catch yourself going, ah, yeah, even just changing the language of, I could do that, but will I be able to do that? You know, so like a small shift in your awareness will have a huge impact on your self-respect and just your awareness of the language you're using on yourself, you know. Mm. Or I could do that today. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. I'll do it tomorrow. Yes, and, and like it's not to say lean into the laziness either. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean go. Oh, I should cook a dinner, but I don't think I will tonight. You know, <laughs> it's more about minding yourself, isn't it, and managing your thoughts better. Because mm. if I say yes to things and I run out and do the things that I don't want to do, I will pay the price. Like I will backtrack, and it'll be in my own head and my own wellness yeah. that suffers. So like. It's about putting ourselves first in. And that's the most selfless thing you can do, even if you are a busy mother or in your job or in your relationship. The better you manage yourself, the better everyone will benefit around you, you know. Yeah. So can we just finish by discussing what I like? Your, I like your catchphrase. Uh, Life mm-hmm. is short. Chase joy. Yes. Because in the confusion of all of that, I think people forget they're so far removed from what their own happiness looks like. I can say this in my own experience. I'm not saying this is the case with everyone, but like even as a mother, I'm so I was so used to being last on the list or actually not even being on the list. And I'd be making sure that everybody else was happy and everybody's needs were met. And we often forget ourselves in that, you know. So it's really important to, like I said, be be a little bit more caring to yourself um, in that and figure out. What is the thing that makes me happy? Where is my joy? That even if it's only a moment of bliss, mm-hmm. like chase that. Don't chase the things that you think. Even in careers, decisions, what we make about houses, about cars, who are we actually pleasing? Are we choosing cars or houses or college courses because it would look good to other people? Or is it what we deeply actually want ourselves to do, you know? Okay. All right. Listen, Virginia Foley, up she rises We'll find you on Instagram and there's websites and all that. Uh, but uh, thank you for being with us on the opinion line. Don't should, <laughs> don't should your pants. Don't do something because you should. And remember to ask yourself the question, as Virginia agreed with me, who says I should? Who says I should? I like it. Good advice. Very hard to follow, I suspect. With good advice. Christmas Day, we want to bring you a little closer to those who can't make it home this year. Shane Bucks will be on air from 11, the Christmas Day cracker. The nearest and dearest, wherever they are in the world, we want to give you the opportunity to say hello. So if you know someone who's up for a chat, then get in touch. Just email the details into reception at 96fm.ie. Reception at 96fm.ie. And then tune in to the Christmas Day Cracker from 11, only on Cork's 96FM. Bunch of stuff coming in from earlier this morning about dentists and the medical card and all of that, which I will get to after 11. But last year... Uh, We covered this service and it did really, really well. It had to be done totally virtual and totally done on Zoom and they had a massive job of work in putting it together. It's a bit more relaxed this year, uh, DJ Kelleher, but still a hell of a lot more work than a regular choir service. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, it it, it it is a lot. Well, it's a bit more relaxed, um, but obviously COVID is still very uh, much out there. 
Um, and we had a, a duty of care as a choir to protect our members. Um, and But this year, thankfully, uh, we were actually able to rever- rehearse live, um, albeit that we had to split up the carol service into like carol pods. Hmm. So like there's 58 members of the choir and we'd, you know, each pod then, let's say, was given a carol to learn. So that had to be rehearsed. But in saying that, our musical director then, she had to be there for every one of the rehearsals. Yeah. Um, and we all practicing with masks on. Um, but yeah. then, you know, and we had a COVID officer to make sure that everybody was abiding by rules. Um, but then we got to actually record uh, where last year we recorded everything on Zoom. Yeah. This year we were actually able to record it at the church in Whitechurch. Yeah. Um, and speak, of course, just again, to remind people, DJ, this is a core gal, the Whitechurch core gal. Yeah. And the, yeah. I mean, I remember I remember looking at your virtual event last year, watching it and thinking, this is incredible work. <laughs> it was. It was. It was a real you know, dedicated body of work that was put into it by everybody. Um, the people who did the videoing, TVM, um, and, you know, Breed Kelleher above in Whitechurch, for example, she put all the Zooms together. It was a massive undertaking. But as I say, this year, a little bit easier. Um, you know, each pod that learned their own individual carol, went to the church, did their antigen test, back to the car, wait for the result, come in, take your slot, record it with TVM, the videographers, um, and, you know, record your song and leave the church. Um, but like the church had to be set up with Deirdre O'Malley and Grania McSweeney, um, who set up the church, dressed the church, let's say. Um, but it was a massive undertaking. But and, equally, and you, you antigen you know, tested that? everybody that went in, yeah? Everybody. On the 4th of December, we did the recording. You were given your slot, your, as in your carol pod, was given your slot. You came in, did your test, back out to the car, uh, wait for the results. Then you were given your slot time to come in to record the song. And it was bitterly cold the same day. So we were trying to do rehearsing inside in the cars, listening to, um, you know, WhatsApp rehearsals. Um, and then in try and get it all done. But we'd great musicians, we'd great, everybody really abided by every single rule. Um, the musicians, um, the orchestra, um, you know, the videographers, everybody. And then just when you'd be, after doing one rehearsal, off came the masks um, because we were all antigen tested and we were all still two metres apart, record the song, on with the masks, out of the church. Yeah, and then That's they open the doors and the windows done. again, clear out the church air. And then you had to you you to vent the church then for fifteen minutes before the next crowd could come in. It that's, was that's a massive dedication. undertaking. That is dedication, DJ. When when do we get to see it? When is all the magic worked and we get to on, see on, it? On the nineteenth of December. Um, we go live at 5 p.m. and again at 7.30 p.m. Um, it'll be available on the corgalchoir.ie um, website. And also, if you go to YouTube um, yeah, and just key in Whitechurch Carol Service 2021, uh, you'll get it there as well. But I just want to thank Betty Fitzgerald. She coordinated all the music everything and I suppose conductors across Ireland were without work and not having work for the past 18 months and it was just a joy for everybody to get back together yeah. singing together and you know what PJ, it's a great it made fun doing it strong you? choir 
You'd great, mm-hmm. fun, you'd great fun doing it. We did, we did. Like we, we were out in Blarney last Sunday, for example, uh, supporting the Church of Ireland out there again because choir is about community um, for their Christmas tree festival, you know, and it's going out to the Irish Defence Forces again this year. Fabulous. Um, it's going out to them, so we're we're really delighted, and we're a stronger and more unified choir for it. Now you know? the charity last year was the Samaritans, Cork Samaritans, and you raised over eight and a half thousand euro, which is we did. We did. This year, who are you partnering with? And, and to be honest with you, PJ, we, we, we'd no PR before it last year. I was talking to you in you know before New Year. Um, this year, um, I'm delighted that you brought us onto your show, but we're supporting the Cork Mental Health Foundation and Housing Association. Um, that's who the charity is for this year. And again, if you go to the website or to Facebook page, uh, Corgal Facebook page or Instagram page or corgalchoir.ie website, um, you'll be able to click on a button and donate. All right. Well, listen, best luck with it. I look forward to watching it at the weekend. The White Church Carol Service 2021. Their website is corgalchoir.ie. Thank you very much, DJ Kelleher. And well done to everybody involved. A mammoth mammoth exercise to get it all recorded and this year raising money for the Cork Mental Health Foundation and Housing Association. Good luck to all. It's on the 19th of December, Sunday. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie we're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96FM. With your local mace, friendly faces, always ready to help this Christmas. Santa baby. For non-stop Christmas hits. Non-stop Christmas hits. My Christmas present for you. Listen to Cork's 96 Miss. Streaming online now. With Bridgestone and Desi Tires. For real value, service and convenience. Open seven days at four locations with late opening too. Desi'sTires.ie. Download our app or see 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996. We'll do our giveaway for Riverdance this hour. If you want to be part of it... Just text me the word or WhatsApp the word Riverdance and your name to 083 396 96 96. Want to be a part of it? Riverdance and your name to 083 396 96 96. And think about whether you'd prefer to answer a question about a river or about a dance. Hey, I don't write this stuff, I just do it. But yeah. Okay, we'll have some fun with that before the end of the show today. This came in, and I think this is a very genuine message and a very genuine question I happen to agree fundamentally with the person who sent it in with regard to the opening hours of off licenses so here we go and I want you to think about this is it time to amend the law surrounding the sale of alcohol in supermarkets I ask this with the people in the at risk category from COVID in mind They're advised to avoid crowds in order to protect themselves. 
Yet, if they go to the supermarket before half ten in the morning, they can't buy alcohol. That forces them to go at a later time in the day. I recently advised my father to go shopping early and get all that he needs, as the shops will be jammed in the run-up to Christmas. He went shopping last Sunday and picked up a few bottles to give as presents for people, but was told he couldn't get them until half twelve because it was a Sunday. He was mortified. All he wanted to do was pretty much what Neffet and the government had been advising. Yet this outdated law prevents him and others from doing this. I could not agree more with that person. I really could not agree more. It's so stupid with the licensing laws in supermarkets. The tills are programmed. Get this. The tills in an awful lot of supermarkets are actually programmed to not let them sell you something as simple as a can of beer at three minutes past ten at night or twenty-five past ten in the morning. It's so stupid. It's so antiquated. It's so out of date. It's so absolutely childish. So, yeah, I'm completely in agreement with that person. They want people to shop safely. So a man in a vulnerable group goes into the supermarket at 10 o'clock or half nine or nine o'clock in the morning to avoid the big crowds later. And she got help him. He wants to buy a couple of bottles of whiskey or wine for friends as Christmas presents. And he can't because computer says no. Because the rule is you can. It's stupid. It's antiquated. It's outdated. And it's a joke. Does anybody want to challenge me on that? Have fun. <sighs> Breathe, Peach. Breathe. 1850 Now, there are a lot of articles in the newspapers recently and a lot of people, women, speaking out publicly about discovering they're autistic. Uh, Stephanie Preisner uh, was tw- 33 or 34 when she discovered recently that she was autistic. There's a journalist called Eleanor from Dublin who was 50 when she realised that she was autistic. And it seems quite common these days for women to discover in later life, like Melanie Sykes, the, te- the television presenter in Britain, was 51 when she was diagnosed. Now, I have one friend, a male friend, who was diagnosed in his 40s. But for women, it seems to be an awful lot later with the diagnoses for a lot of them. I'm joined by, by, by two women. One is Fiona Ferris. She's the deputy CEO of As I Am. The other is Eveline Welton of ConfidentKids.ie. I'll come to you both in turn. I'll come to you second, Eveline. Fiona, I'll go to you first. Hi, how are you doing? I'm not too bad. How are you? Good, good. You and I met before at a, an event in Limerick where we spoke about special needs education. And I remember being quite impressed by your own story. When, when were you diagnosed, Fiona? So I was actually diagnosed as a teen. I was diagnosed when I was 15. And I suppose for a lot of people that might seem as quite late. But as we're hearing more and more of, uh, girls and women do tend to, I suppose, slip under the net in terms of what people associate or uh, know autism to be. And that uh, I think that, that contributes massively to why autistic women tend to I suppose, realise that they're autistic later in life. It's a lot to do with the misconception and the miscommunication that surrounds autism and and what it actually is. Mm, Because a lot of people don't know what it is. Uh, It used to be called a disorder. Now it's a difference. 
Yeah, that, that's correct. And I think um, the, the word disorder doesn't actually help anybody. Um, speaking about autism in, in a deficit-based model or a medical model, you know, that, that's leading people to think about perhaps the things that somebody can't do as well as somebody else. When in fact, whenever you're autistic, there are a lot, of course, you do face challenges, but there are a lot of things um, that you uh, are able to do a lot better than other people or in a very different way to other people that just doesn't fit into perhaps what a lot of people perceive autism to be. Another perception that there used to be there, Fiona, was that it was something that only happened to boys. Now, it is far more common in boys, like four times as, as, as common, but it goes undetected in a lot of young girls. Do they know why? So it's not that it's more common in boys. Isn't it's actually it? that it's just more commonly diagnosed in boys. Okay. So it's not it's not a case that there are more autistic boys than there are autistic girls. It's actually just whenever we look back, you know, and I, I don't really like to focus on the medical model, but whenever we look all the way back to whenever autism was first, I suppose, researched or um, coined, it was actually based on research that was based around a group of 11 boys. And therefore, all of the diagnostic criteria was very much based on male presentation. Now, we don't live in a world anymore where everybody fits quite neatly into the box of male or female. Um, so I, I don't actually believe in gendering autism, but you sure. know, it, it is important to acknowledge that there are, are you know, it's very... <laughs> It's, it's less common for a female to be diagnosed than it is for a male, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there are less autistic see, that, females that, that, than that, there are less that's autistic a change males. To, that's a change to my understanding, Fiona, and, and uh, that's a good point to bring in Evelyn Welton. Evelyn, good morning. Morning, PJ, how are you? Now, you, you get a small bit closer to your monitor there. Um, you Remind me again what age you were, Evelyn, when, when your diagnosis came. Uh, 37. Can you speak up a little for me there? Oh, can you not hear me at all? I can hear you fine now, yeah. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I was 37. Right. And and was it a surprise to you? No. I mean, <laughs> no. Uh, I suppose when, I mean, I always knew that um, uh, people misinterpreted me, I suppose, because I mean, I suppose a lot of what these people say, I always knew I was different, but sure, we're all different anyway. Yeah. But I think when we say that, what we mean is that actually we were treated very differently to other people around us. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, there would have been, um, I, I call it like the breadcrumb trail, like all these little signs, kind of little trail of breadcrumbs like Hansel and Gretel through my life. That kind of, you know, when I got to this age and started researching it myself was like, oh, OK, mm. <laughs> this is this explains an awful lot. So it didn't come as a surprise. It came very well. I was very welcome, I suppose, a welcome, a welcome <laughs> addition to my life. Mm. You spoke to me before about masking. Yeah. And you discovered you're very good at masking. But what is masking? Yes. Now, I can't, I couldn't hear what Fiona was saying, so I hope I'm not repeating uh, what she said. But uh, masking, and I suppose it's important that I say that, like, masking is a, is a very human thing. We all do it to a certain degree. All autistic people also do it. It's not like, because there's this idea that it's like, oh, women mask more than autistic women mask more than autistic men, which, which is, has no foundation to it. It's just kind of an idea put out there by, I think, professionals who let us down, to be honest, because... Um, all the research was based on like boys' behaviour and boys are socialised differently. So obviously, if you just research boys, you're not going to find 
girls in there, are you? So um, we've been ignored. Um, You know, it's blamed the women as usual. Uh, You know yourself, the history of autism uh, back, it was, you know, what is it, in the 60s, it was refrigerator moms. It was the women's fault for having Mm -hmm. autistic children. Cold cold mother syndrome. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's our fault again that no one knew we existed. Um, So it's about time we stopped blaming the women. (laughs) And maybe people were a bit accountable for poor research, really. So I'm asking to answer your actual question (laughs) is, I mean, it's a response to trauma. It's like if a tiger, you know, uh, came into your room there, PJ, you might run away, which would be your, your, your flight response. You might freeze, you know, that's your freeze response. You might also pretend you're another lion. You might try and appease and please the lion or the tiger. And that's, that's what, what, fought with, um, what masking is. It's like a fawning response to trauma. Um, and the fact that autistic people have such high levels of masking um, shows kind of how traumatic it is to be autistic in this world, which doesn't understand us, which treats us pretty badly as well. You know? So is it... And this is my trying to place it rather clumsily into my own words that I can understand. Is it that you develop a skill set to cope with moments where you might panic? Um, I think like it's so multifaceted to simplify. Like it, I mean, it is. It's to call it a skill set. I think doesn't do it. Kind. Of, it also doesn't kind of like because I know it's kind of often described as oh, it's what we do to fit in, and I just think that really minimizes the pain and trauma that goes underneath it. Sure. I mean. To, to liken it to maybe another, you know, another community who had to mask would be, say, like, you know, when it was illegal to be gay or to, you know, be a gay man, let's say, right? You know, you, you married a straight woman, pretended you masqueraded um, as somebody else, so you weren't being your true self. So, when it, so it's very similar to that. In an autistic sense, it means that, like... I could be completely uncomfortable in an environment. So maybe I'm getting a headache from fluorescent lights. Maybe, you know, some, there's too much going on around me. And I hide my pain response. So, like, I'm actually hiding my pain response in that situation because I learned from a young age that people either don't believe that, that I can have a pain response to lights or that people just don't care. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, or people get annoyed that you, you know, you're uncomfortable and you express it. And I mean, that's what we find. We find that autistic children, you know, covering their hands, their ears in school, are, you know, saying it's too loud. And often an adult responds by saying it's not. Yes. But that's judging someone else's experience on your experience. Yes. And you just can't do that as human beings. I don't know what it's like to be PJ Coogan. You've no idea what it's like to be Adeline. You know, so if Eveline tells PJ something, PJ just kind of has to realise that Eveline knows herself. And it's like that with autistic people. It's like yes. we know ourselves and we know what upsets us and we know what we can tolerate and we know what it's like to be us. And if people... So, I mean, masking is... It, it's, it's, I mean, for me, since I found out I was autistic seven years ago, it's been like a, a demasking process. It's ongoing. Um, it's about trying to you know, be me as much as I can because I was whatever anybody else wanted me to be for most of my life, which, you know, is a really hard thing to admit, but yeah. it's something that I need to be real about because I don't want to ever go back there. And I, I mean, a lot of the work I do is supporting other people um, to find their way back to being their, themselves authentically because society tells us it's wrong to be autistic. It's wrong to say what you think. It's wrong to communicate in a very real way. I mean, we're very... Uh, you know, people kind of don't, and this is the thing, people have all these 
ridiculous ideas about what it is to be autistic and yes the autistic community are challenging the medical model because I know in the echo last night I was reading like the symptoms of autism and I'm like this isn't good enough anymore yeah there isn't there okay. are there are no actual symptoms as such it's it's not no. like it's not like bronchitis I'll just bring, bring you back in there Fiona for, for a second and Evelyn was in her <laughs> mid to late 30s as she said you were you were a teenager but your experience of masking, like, do you do you have a concept of what masking is? Would you have found yourself masking? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, masking, and, and I have to apologise, I couldn't actually hear um, what Evelyn was saying. But yeah, masking is very much something that I would relate to. And it's important to, to point out as well that it's not something that I would consciously do, yes. or sometimes not even aware that I'm doing it. It's often after the situation has taken place. And I realise how tired and how drained I am from having to put on what almost feels like a performance in order to be able to interact with people or engage with people socially because that doesn't actually come naturally to me particularly um i suppose in, in work related situations or um you know with a group of people that i'm not actually that familiar with now it's very different whenever i'm around family members or immediate friends they understand me they they know uh, what i'm like and how i am and uh, i don't really feel the need to i suppose mask how i am or mask my differences but whenever I'm in a situation that doesn't come naturally to me or that isn't entirely comfortable to me, it's something that my, my mind would almost do on autopilot. So I have very little control over my actual masking because it's not something that I would like to do. I'm quite comfortable with myself as an autistic person, quite comfortable with my identity. And I also feel quite comfortable in being able to advocate for my needs. Mm -hmm. But I suppose it's just a learned skill that's very hard to actually let go of, even mm -hmm. though I've I've been diagnosed for, for 20 years at this yeah. point. Evelyn made the point there about, do you know, that people not getting it, that lights and sound can actually hurt. Can, can you identify with that? I remember speaking to a man um, who told me, look PJ, I love to go into a shopping centre until Christmas because the lights and sounds of Christmas in a shopping centre, they actually hurt my head. Yeah. Can you identify with something yeah. like that? I can absolutely identify with it, but just because I can identify with it and that man can identify with it, it's important as well to mention that that doesn't mean that all autistic people sure. would find lights and sound painful because we all experience our sensory systems in a very different way. But for me personally, I find sound and I suppose unpredictable sounds more so than anything else to be very overwhelming. You know, if a, you're in a cafe and a baby starts crying or if you're walking down the street and uh, somebody, you know, sets off their, their car horn or something like that, I wasn't expecting that sound to happen in this environment. And I can find that very overwhelming to the point where it can almost upset me. And the same with, with lights. If For me, it's mostly transitioning. So maybe going from indoors to outdoors or sitting in a room that has very strong fluorescent lights that would my brain would process that as pain rather than as bright but that's me and there I know lots of autistic people who wouldn't experience those things in the same way but still have intense sensory differences there you go I'm going to leave you both because I need to move on to something else but I think you've answered in a way that I was going to finish with with you both Evelyn and Fiona thank you very much you can find Evelyn Welton at Confident Kids with all the K's dot IE and Fiona Ferris at As I Am uh, you've met one autistic person you've met one autistic person 
Never forget that. Thank you both. 1850-715-996. There's a study has been published this week. It's, it's another one of these growing up in Ireland studies, which has been going on since 1998. But this one is focusing by the Economic and Social Research Institute. This one is focusing on young adults, the 20-somethings, the 20s and 20-somethings. And they've described their lives in this latest stage of the Growing Up in Ireland survey as being very, very difficult. Uh, They have significant problems at the age of 20. Above normal stress, about a third of women more likely to report stress and a fifth of men likely to report stress, financial stress being the main problem. Let's go to Dr. Desmond O'Mahony from the ESRI. This is an ongoing survey going on over many years, Desmond. And the latest, the latest findings, have they surprised anybody? Good morning. Hi there. Good morning. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so we are the, the National Longitudinal Study of Children in Ireland. Um, yeah, so we've been going since about 2006. Um, and we have had the same group of like 9,000 children uh, for the last four waves now. So the, the current wave has about 5,000 20-year-olds. Uh, we revisit them every few years since they were nine. So we're, we're seeing, um, as you mentioned, some of them are facing quite a lot of difficulties with uh, mental health, with stress and uh, depressive symptoms as well. Um, one of the things we're, we're seeing is um, a link with previous episodes of depression where uh, previous you're, you're considerably more likely to experience depression now if you were um, if you experienced depression in one of the previous waves. Uh, like, like you said as well, uh, if you've experienced financial strain, as a great many uh, as a great many of the, the families did, especially in, in Cork, um, on um, during the recession, then that makes you more vulnerable to experience kind of uh, financial or to experience both financial strain now and also to experience the kind of uh, the mental health um, outcomes that we're seeing for these young adults. Um, so like, there, there are a lot of difficulties there, but at the same time, uh, we are seeing that the 20-year-olds the do have kind of well-developed social circles and social networks. So quite a lot of them have upwards of 10 or 11 friends and then over 98% of the young adults are also reporting that like, at least a good chunk of those friends are close friends as well. So they're very protective for um, your future kind of mental health outcomes. Yeah. They they also say that they can yeah, that they can talk to these friends about their friend their their um their problems and stuff um and one of the things we're seeing is that over time that friends do take uh take the place of a lot of the social support that parents would have been doing at, at younger ages so yeah. we we see those those kind of transitions happening which which are useful um we also look at their their kind of coping skills and coping styles um, and we see that broadly those those coping skills are are typically fairly adaptive as well so they, they talk about talking about the problems with peers they talk about uh, talking problems with, with parents um and even even within that girls are like girls are more likely to to talk um about their problems yeah. than than boys are, which is which is kind of worrying yeah is yeah that's that's a kind of belief that people have and is it borne out by a survey like this that you know g- girls will talk a bit about what's going on for them boys less so Yes, yes. So when it comes to talking to to good friends and family, around half of boys that they will talk to to, to to about problems with their friends, whereas upwards of sixty odd sixty something percent of girls, about sixty five percent of girls, they 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 do this. Um, similarly, um, about thirty percent of boys say they will talk to their family, like their parents, about about problems at this age, whereas it's upwards of forty forty five percent of girls. So there's this this extra kind of level of communication that girls do about about their their situation that the boys typically don't do 
what kind of jobs do they have? But a quarter of them, I think, are in full-time employment. What kind of jobs do they have? Um, so we have we've we've looked at the the employment prospects of them, and um, about forty percent are in what's called kind of low-skilled jobs. So uh, low-skilled low doesn't doesn't necessarily mean like that the jobs aren't aren't valuable jobs, but um, a lot of them would be kind of service industry jobs or the kind of entry-level jobs in companies that you would expect people to be able to get at at this age. And um, we also see that most most people at this age are still filling out their their education so that by the time we would have looked at the the um their um their uh sorry by the time we would have looked at their um the questionnaire they would have still they would have been like the middle of their typical kind of post-secondary schooling so they're often doing these jobs as a stopgap on right. the way to, to something better with their with their education so about 40 percent in the lower skill jobs with about seven percent in the kind of managerial and, and technical jobs, uh, and about another thirty percent in kind of non-manual positions, um, and then about fifteen percent in the skilled kind of manual positions, like um, like machine tooling and stuff like that. Do do they feel that they need something like a degree or some kind of a piece of paper for life to be better for them? Um, I I think the like the. The general trend we have seen is for people to access education very, very strongly, and that this is a very, very strong uh, desire for most of them. And we see slight differentiation in that, where people from um, people from uh, backgrounds where their parents have a high level of education are like almost universally going to go to higher education themselves. But there's a there's quite a bit more diversity if your parents have a lower educational background. So let's say like the equivalent of a junior or a lower. There's, there's quite a spread where about half of those those 20 year olds are going on to to third level of education, and the other half are kind of going into the the world of work or into kind of PLC or further education course. Lastly, and understand under some time pressure, Desmond. Briefly, are they generally in a good place? Our 20 year olds of 2021. We, we looked at life satisfaction, and d- despite some of the problems you're seeing, yeah, like broadly, they were still reporting quite high life satisfaction. That you know they they have. You know they obviously have connections with friends. They they are in in the process of learning. Like they're they're at a stressful point where they are you know they're still trying they're trying to navigate their way into the world. They're doing education all that kind of stuff. But overall life satisfaction is typically high. I think the the coming kind of thing that will define a lot of the a lot of their future is whether stuff like housing housing can be uh, can be eas- more easily attained once they've finished education. Uh, and whether jobs are still there, you know, if there, if there isn't further recessions caused by the pandemic and stuff like that. Okay. So that that's the sort of key thing they have to navigate. Okay, listen, thank you for your time. I know you've got to go. Uh, Dr. Desmond O'Mahony, Research Analyst with the Economic and Social Research Institute. There's a lot of newspaper print being written about those that particular survey. It's a fascinating one, actually. Uh, this is going on. For, for years and years, it is really a long, 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 long survey uh, growing up in Ireland. They started in 1998, so been going on now for the bones of 25 years. 1857-15996 on those alcohol sales. My family member is an alcoholic. She always does her shopping early. It gives us all peace, including her, to know she can buy her groceries and avoid the temptation of buying drink because she knows she can't get it at that time, which I do indeed take that point. Jimmy says, and this is mad actually, you're right Jimmy, you can't even buy the Zero Zero brands, which are non-alcoholic. It's a stupid law made by bishops when they had the power here. It's 
2022, not 1962. Yeah, that always strikes me as utterly daft that, yeah, you, you can't even buy a few cans of Guinness Zero. Um, because it's our Heineken Zero or what, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96FM. With your local mace, making it a Christmas full of smiles. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. I'm here with you every evening, helping you to get into the festive spirit with loads of your favorite Christmas songs. There's also a chance for you to win a smart speaker on the takeover. All you've got to do is choose the tunes, and I'll be taking your guesses on the one second song because, as Breed says, you've got to be on 96 FM at least once. So make sure to join me weekdays from four. The big drive home with AIB, proud supporter of the Gold Mile. You can help now at goldmile.org. AIB, we pledge to do more. On Cork's 96 FM. Cork's 96 FM. Your responses to that uh, message we had about the sales of drink in supermarkets. Well, I'll come back to them. Sharon Mullins is with uh, Feed Cork. They're doing a 12 days of Christmas again. Hi, Sharon. Hi PJ, how are you? Good, this is a big effort and a huge amount of work goes into it on the touch base with you. What's happening? Yeah, well, I suppose this year, like last year, unfortunately we couldn't do our yearly fundraiser, which, you know, it's usually at the start of December we go out on the street and have a collection that day, but because of the pandemic, that's gone now. So we did, um, we're doing this 12 days of Christmas where we're asking people to donate um, over the 12 days of Christmas and I suppose really we're still like we're here nearly four and a half years and I suppose you won't know we're here unless you need us mm. you know the guys here it's all vol- volunteer run and we, we were here all through the pandemic and you know we were doing a delivery service at the start then we were doing a drive through and we did a walk up but now people are able to come in and we have like almost like a shop set up where they can choose what they want to take mm. and you know, and everything then we try to do it by appointment just for safety for the, on the Wednesday and Thursday that we operate. But we're now also helping out some of the DESH schools. Right. And last year, one of the local businessmen here, um, uh, Kieran Callan, he's in Brook Foods. He actually offered to do Christmas dinner for people last year. So we worked with the DESH school with a, a lunch every, every week. We sit one particular school that we've kind of taken under our wing. And he he wants to do the dinners again, so we're going to do the 650 dinners again. We're going to do it through the desk schools that we work with, um, because we feel there's a cohort who will never come to our doors because yeah. you know maybe they haven't got the headspace or you know stuff. This has been such a hard time for people, PJ. You know. Yes. Where are your doors again? Just so people can we're find you. We're down at the very back um, of the. We're at the back of Connolly Hall. Yes. And you know the street right behind the bus office. You know, so like Marks and Spencer just gave us a commercial kitchen as well, PJ. So our plan is in the new year that we'll be able to find a home for that and set up something where wow. we can, 
Yeah. They so gave we, you a kitchen? They gave us a commercial kitchen, yeah. Wow. Because, because our plan is to start something called After School Fuel where kids will be able to take food home maybe at the weekend. And um, so that's our plan like for the new year. Right. So the fundraising, like all that will really help us. Okay. going forward. Is there know? a website or a Facebook? To there pe- is. There's a Facebook all across social media and there's an I donate button and like eight euros a week from somebody will feed a family. And if they, if they can't, you know, there's lots of people in bad situations this year. Even if you can't donate, like and share it so we just keep spreading the word, you know. Okay. It's been very hard for all charities I think in the city this year. Yeah. Well, you know. That's why we're giving as many as possible as we can of them, a twist uh, for the Christmas time. Sharon Mullins at Feed Cork, thank you very much. And they are on all social media. Thanks for that. Uh, right, let's get back to that one. This this was a very genuine caller who... Her, her dad wanted to buy some drink, uh, bottles of drink for friends, but because he's vulnerable as regards COVID went shopping early in the morning only to be told, sorry, you can't actually buy a few bottles of wine or a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of brandy for your friends because we're not open for drink yet. And I was making the point that these licensing laws are outdated and childish and stupid. Now, there is the argument, of course, as Jimmy made the Was it Jimmy made the point? Someone made the point anyway, that look, if a person is an alcoholic, they'll go shopping outside of those times so that they will know that they're not tempted to buy food, but to buy drink. And, and that is true. There's also the, Jimmy's question, why the hell can't you buy some non-alcoholic beer? Uh, but, and then CB on Twitter says, that stupid childish law, it caters for people who work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. They can buy, they can buy a drink after work, but night shift workers can't. Uh, by the time they can, it's time for sleep. We live in a 24-7 world. These people are adult enough to make and deliver your bread, milk, food, fuel, medicines, but no, we can't allow them to have a drink after work. There's that angle to it too. Thank you, Rory says PJ, on the subject of alcohol. I was out Saturday, caught an alcohol-free beer for myself and a Guinness for a friend. The Guinness was a fiver. The bottle of alcohol-free beer was 570. Where is the incentive to pick the alcohol-free option? Oh, I'd love to discuss that someday. Why these alcohol-free beers are so blasted expensive. There is no reason or sense to it at all. There's no alcohol in them, so there should be no excise on them. They should be considerably cheaper. Thank you, Rory. Still taking entries for Riverdance? Text Riverdance and your name to 083 396 Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Corks 96 FM. Remember, they're still making those Santa calls for Casey and Ross in the morning. Uh, get into the website and have a look for them. You'll find the Santa calls there and uh, fill in the form on 96fm.ie. It's with McCarthy's Interiors and Gift Shop, Douglas and Balancholic Shopping Centres. Call now for festive bedding, gifts and decor. See mccarthys.ie and stay listening because they could be calling you. Right, share the launch of the Christmas Appeal is today. Roisin and Ronan. Ronan's the chair of Share. Also joined by, by Roisin. Hi guys. Ronan, it's starting today. Is it the appeal running right up to Christmas Eve? Um, it's starting tomorrow morning at um, half seven. 
and it's then that all the chair volunteers will hit the streets of Cork right up until Christmas Eve. Okay, okay. And it's COVID compliant, of course? And it is, yeah. All the collectors will be social distance, will be wearing masks, and every precaution will be taken as well. Okay, you're looking forward to it, Roisin? Yeah, I am. You're all excited about it. It's, it's, it'll, it'll be tough out there for the next few days. There's a lot of work involved. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you get involved in Share? Oh, um, just to help out and then for all to visit the elderly every Wednesday and just over the Christmas. Yeah. Do you have particular elderly people that you like to visit? You do. Yeah, we've every com- we've a complex where we visit every Wednesday. Yeah. We go up there, talk to them. Yeah. 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 Ronan. Be, have you been involved for a few years now that you're the chair, yeah? Um, well, we we were involved last year with COVID where um, our school was short of collectors, so we were kind of roped into it a bit. But um, we only take uh, six years for the chair executive itself, so yeah. they just they elect uh, a chairman every year out of that. So this is my second year of collecting. Okay. Talk to me about what... It, but why you you like it so much? You you you, you say you got roped in last year, but this year you're 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 willing and able to be part of it. What's what's the feeling to be got from it? What's what's the buzz? Well, I think that you know last year, um, like we well we were doing just the collections last year, whereas this year we're a lot more involved with the actual complexes and going around to and the actual people that are housed there and making sure that everyone's okay and just doing simple things like brightening up people's lives and doing a bit of gardening here and there, everything that can help out complexes. And I guess this year, more so than last year, you're just kind of involved in everything that's going on, whereas last year we wouldn't have met the residents. And this year we're really involved in everything. Today and yesterday and there are Christmas dinners happening where we're going and we're having kind of a Christmas party um, with the residents in each complex. So I guess this year... You know, you're. I'm, I'm more involved in it, I guess, that's where it put it. And yeah. everyone in the executive is more involved in it. Whereas last year, we wouldn't have been. And yeah. when you're going around, when you're talking to people, when you're helping people out, you feel more involved in it. And, yeah. and you get, I don't know, there's something that you love about feeling of helping people out and doing yeah. some good. Roisin and Ronan from Share. Uh, Ronan is this year's chairman and they are starting on in the morning their 10-day run into Christmas. They never tell us how much is raised. It's it's thing with them. It's never they never tell us how much is raised and it's the only fundraiser they do in the year for share. So please be as generous as you can and when the share crib goes up and the share cross goes on, it's Christmas in Cork. Where am I for Riverdance? Line 2. Hey Ruth, how are you? Hi, PJ. I'm great, thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. Now, do you want a river question or a dance question? Go with the river question. Go with the river. All right. Name the fashion store in Cork with river in its name. River Island? River Island would be justice. These are too easy. I have to make them harder. Well done. Who will you take to see Riverdance? 
I will bring either my sister or my hubby, depending. Great. Have you ever seen it before? I haven't actually, no, so I'm really looking forward to it. Massive show. It's a massive... You'll have sore hands from applauding at the end. Oh, yay. It's a massive, <laughs> massive show. Ruth, congratulations. You're going off to see it at Live at the Marquee next summer, courtesy of our friends at Aiken Promotions. To remind you, there's loads of people that we're trying to help out at the moment. Cork Simon, also your Christmas jumper days. People still organising them. Get on to Cork Simon.ie uh, for a fundraising pack and join Cork's 96FM and help us to fight homelessness in Cork and do it in any way you can a COVID compliant way. Alright, that's it. The programme today edited by Fiona Corcoran produced and researched by Fergal Barry. It's been a busy one. See you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie We're playing all your favourite Christmas hits after midday on Cork's 96FM. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. With your local mace helping to make this Christmas extra special. On Christmas Day, Cork's 96FM wants to bring you a little closer to those who can't make it home. Here we go! Oh, oh, oh. You make every day feel like it's Christmas. Join Shane Bucks from 11am for our Christmas Day Cracker. We want to speak to your nearest and dearest, wherever they are in the world. So, if you know someone who's up for a chat, then get in touch. Email the details to reception at 96fm.ie. Oh, oh, oh. The Christmas Day Cracker from 11am, only on Cork's 96FM. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.